First Samuel and Second Samuel were originally one book. So the intro to First Samuel covers the intro to Second Samuel. How about that for fancy intro, right? They really were one book originally. We kind of divided them, man divided them. Um, the biggest two differences that you do need to know, and no, we're not doing a whole intro, by the way, but uh, the biggest differences you can you know, mark down for your notes is uh, 1 Samuel is the life of Saul, the fall of Saul, and 2 Samuel is the rise of David to become king. Um, so where 1 Samuel ends, uh, you literally have the death of, of Saul, and where 2 Samuel picks up is David hearing about the death of Saul, and, and that's where we're at. Um, so today is kind of a little different. Rather than going through, and I do advise you guys to go through the song especially, uh, a lot of symbolism there, a lot of, of, of stuff you can do with some of the words there. Um, but as I, as I read over this and read over this thing repeatedly, because really you just got this giant story of a bunch of stuff kind of taking place at the same time. Now, by a bunch of stuff, I mean, you know, an Amalekite coming in and giving David news, the, the whole morning period, the writing of a song and some lessons behind that. And, and the more I thought about it, there is so much personal application to this chapter as far as it, that we need to be applying uh, to any area of loss in our life. So, so I kind of want to go through that, but, but just to overview, just so everybody makes sure they understood what Carla just read and where we're at very briefly. You know, this book opens with David hearing that Saul is dead. The Philistine army has defeated, uh, his nation. They've killed the king. They've killed the king's son, including his best friend, Jonathan. And this Amalekite then rushes in with this news of sharing this with David. And as he rushes in with this news, you kind of get the sense that he's got this feeling that I'm going to get, I'm going to get some, some reward for sharing this with David, because we all know and everybody knew, you know, nobody had to had to tell anybody. Everybody knew Saul and David had some problems going on in their relationship. I mean, he's been trying to kill him for years. Um, he's been chasing him around like a wild animal in the wilderness uh, for this long period of time after David's been announced to be anointed to be the next king. Um, so this Amalekite's got this idea. And I think this and I'll stand kind of in the middle. Y'all know how I roll. If it's directly, it's right there. If it's way out left field, I get off. But right in the middle, I think this Amalekite was lying through his teeth. Uh, and, and here's why. You know, if you wonder, well, hold on, how can you prove that? I can't prove it 100%. I think you're okay if you believe either way. Either Saul was laying on his sword and he was taking his last breath, like we were last week, if you weren't with us, catch it out online. And, and, and he looks up at this Amalekite, he wanders by and says, finish me off. And immediately, then, then, the, then his armor bearer falls on his sword too. Now, all that's left out of the first one, so I don't go that way. But if you do, you're okay. That, that, it fits right there in it if you want to go that way. I think this guy walks upon Saul dead, his armor bearer dead, knowing the enemy has been destroyed, knowing and already hearing about all the sons dead, and he takes off. What I do believe, now we don't even have proof that he's actually taking the garments off of Saul, but we'll give him that, right? And he takes off these, these significant items, and he says, I'm going to take this stuff to David. And I'm going to tell David when I get there, not only is Saul dead, but I, I did it because I need to advance my position because I'm just an Amalekite who David just week before with. Uh, so, so I really, I really need this in there. So he gets there and, and, and he does this and there's this period of mourning and all that stuff, which we're going to go back into. I'm just giving you a brief overview real fast. And David looks back at him after this, this morning says, who are you again? Where are you from again? And you know when somebody, you've seen movies, right? So when somebody begins to ask multiple times, and who are you and where are you from? When they repeatedly ask that, you know something is about to go down, right? So, th- so this guy comes up, he says, I- I'm an Amalekite. Well, really, you know, my, my dad was an alien, and, and that's kind of what made me an Amalekite, and, 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 I, and I got in here, and, but I killed. I killed Saul for you so that you could advance to your position that you're supposed to be at. 
And David don't make no big deal about it. He just looks out and says, hey, guys. Take care of this cat, because justice has to happen regardless of what's going on. And I want to make sure we understand that one, because I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about David killing the Malachite. I think that's pretty point blank into the to the scene. It wraps up in two verses. So we ought to be able to get that right. But I want to make sure of this because too many people that I read this week had had two major flaws in commentating on this chapter that I believe at least. OK, and one was this one believed that David was playing a game and making Saul sound like this great guy with the way he mourned and his song and all that. If David was playing a great game, we've all seen movies. We've all been part of evil things, right? If we play in a game, don't we slip the dude who killed Saul like a $20 bill later? We don't kill him, right? So for David to go through this action, and, and, and this is David's biggest turnaround, guys. He gets back on board with praying with God. I mean, he, this, this is the start to the ride. That's what we call, even though it's the same book, the, the, the second part of this series, we're calling the rise of a king uh, because David is now getting ready to sky. Now, we know he has problems later. OK, so don't that's coming. But he's getting ready to skyrocket in his relationship with God and who he's supposed to be in his calling and everything else. So so this is not a, him playing a game, you know, and, and trying to make it sound. This is serious. Like David really responds this way. So so, you know, and, and we get to this part and we look at this. And here's the main thing I want us to make sure we understand. How did David have a proper response? to the death of his best friend, to the death of a king, and to the death of a nation, write it down, he grieved. He grieved. And now, now you women, sometimes y'all don't have as much of a problem with this as us men. But if we're honest and if, if we're blunt, men have a problem grieving sometimes. All of us at some level have a problem grieving. But men sometimes have the biggest problem. And I, build, and I believe any of us, man, woman, or whatever, it's because we don't handle it the way David handles it. And there's what I mean as far as now we're going to go back and just go through all this stuff that David does. And we're going to get a lesson on how to handle loss. Now, if you're thinking, well, I hadn't had any personal loss lately. None of my loved ones have died recently. I don't care if it was recent. I don't care if it was a decade ago. We need to learn how to handle it properly. Also, I think all these lessons apply perfectly for whether we're talking about the loss of a person or the loss of something. So this doesn't necessarily have to be the way you handle the loss of a loved one. This can be the way you handle the loss of an enemy. The, the loss of money, the loss of a position, the loss of a status. I mean, the loss of anything fits greatly in this. And I have to admit my ignorance here because Scripture uses this word lament. And, and, and we have the book of Lamentations. and So we, so we know what all that is. And, and, and me wanting to make Laura proud, and I did because I texted it to her. I was so proud. And if you hadn't caught it by looking at your connection yet, I couldn't think of an acrostic for lament. So I use the word grieve. One, because it's the same word, too, because I think we use that word grieve. I don't hear anybody rolling and giving and saying, I was lamenting the other day. Uh, you know, you, you rednecks, y'all just don't roll that way, and that's okay, because uh, I don't either. Uh, but, but, but this word grieve. So the very first thing I want us to look at, and here's the lessons where we get where, where personal application should be taking, taking place on this. The G. So the G for grieve. you got to grant that a loss occurred. Now, some of these really sound so simple, but I want you to ask yourself at, at each of these these six things, and then a little couple extra ones at the end, do you really acknowledge that? Like, yeah, granting that a loss occurred seems pretty simple. Go to verse 11. And we see David willing. Notice that word willing. Nobody had to force him. David is willing to embrace his sorrow. Oh, that's chapter two. We need chapter one. So go to chapter one, verse 11. I may have messed up on my notes from my beautiful bride. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them. And all the men with him did the same. Now, 
just just as a side note for us, because there's not a lot to this section. It's pretty simple when you've got a grant that a loss has occurred, right? This tearing of clothes, though, and, and we saw this one that when the Amalekite came in, his clothes were torn and he had the, the dust. On. This was a sign of great, great loss written in Scripture that when people couldn't. So it happened commonly. So people would know. So David knew bad news was coming when, when this guy came in with the ripped clothes, when David ripped his clothes and the people ripped their clothes. They, they knew what was going on. It was great. It symbolized this sorrow so great I can't bear it. Now, I point that out because later in the Old Testament, um, priests are commanded, you can't tear your clothes. Now, now here's why, in case you ain't caught. What was the priest supposed to symbolically represent for the people? The presence of God, correct? I mean, if, if the priest has the presence of God and he rips his clothes because he can't handle something, what does that tell us? Y'all see why this is important? I mean, if the priest couldn't, if the priest had more than he could bear, who has the presence of God on him and he rips his clothes, we got a problem. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to go to the guy who can't bear, who's got the presence of God on him. And I point this out for us. I don't want none of y'all ripping your clothes at the next funeral I do. Okay. Or does scripture not say in the New Testament that we are a royal priesthood? Does it not say that the presence of God now reigns inside his children? Okay. So, so you don't have to run around ripping your clothes. Not to say you don't have to mourn. We're, we're, we're granting that, that an event has happened and a loss has taken place, but you can handle it. See, becoming a believer, becoming a follower of Christ, becoming a member of the, the kingdom, getting your citizenship, it doesn't mean you're going to have anything different than the rest of the world has happening in your life. What it means is you're going to be able to handle it differently. Okay? It means you're going to be able to deal with it differently. So the very first thing you've got to do, which seems so simple, is you got to grant that a loss has occurred. And too many times in today's culture, we use denial as a coping mechanism. Whether it's a loss, whether it's a cheating spouse, whether it's bad report, whether it's not what the doctor wanted us to know, whether whether anything, any bad. We do it with our children. Oh, no, not my baby. You don't understand. He's the sweetest little thing. Yeah, right. Right. They're evil little boogers that run around. All right. There's no need to lie about. Right. So, So we use denial as a coping mechanism, because if we deny it, we make ourselves think it must have didn't happen. Here's the reality. It don't matter whether you believe it happened or not. It happened. OK, so denial is not going to do you anything else. Just because you deny something doesn't mean it's any less true. OK, and we can't get over what we haven't come to terms with that has happened. Now, you can apply that on every level of your life. OK, you never get over the loss of a loved one if you hadn't granted that, that it's taken place. You, you'll never get over dealing with sin if you haven't granted that it's been a problem. You'll never get over being outside of the kingdom if you hadn't acknowledged the fact that, that I'm outside of the kingdom. Um, so, so you have to come to terms and acknowledge anything to get over. All right. So that, that's number one. Just grant that something has happened. Grant it. All right. Number two. Or we got to refuse to dwell on past hurts. Refuse to dwell on past hurts. Man, this one hit me. Guys. I ain't gonna lie to you because I've read this chapter a couple of times. And, and I know you can see at the very end that that a great portion Portion, not all portion of it, is about Jonathan. But I can't believe that David goes into this kind of mourning for Saul. Right? I mean, this is a guy who's chased him around for years trying to kill him. You would think like there would be a, I'm with the Amalekite. I'm like, yeah, we're going to have a party. Saul is gone. The new king is rising. Woo! Not David. David says that was still God's anointed. That was still the leader of our country. That, that was still the man that God had allowed to be in a position that was supposed to be held to a high standard and a high place. 
Remember, so so high in David's mind that why he had multiple easy attempts to to eliminate him and be done. He chose not to. He chose not to retaliate over and over. And I think a lot of that has to do with this. He refused to dwell on past hurts. Guys, if we want to get over losing something, we got to be able to refuse to dwell on past hurts. And that's what David did. If you were with us last night and you watched the, the little mini sermon, he dropped it. How perfect was that? Right. He dropped. He dropped the offense. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to get involved with building a fence. I'm going to drop the, the board. So the fence isn't built. Right. We live in a world full of sinful human beings. There's no doubt about it. Others are going to hurt us sometimes unintentionally, sometimes very intentionally and willingly. Right. It is difficult to deal with those hurts. Right. But but listen up right here. Some of us in here this morning are harboring resentment or bitterness about some hurt that has happened to us in the past. We've allowed something and someone maybe that hurt us really, really bad. Maybe someone cheated you out of money. Maybe somebody cheated you out of possessions. Maybe you've lost your health. Maybe you blame the doctor. Maybe you're angry at God. I don't, I don't know, but we've got some form of bitterness and hurt and resentment going on. And I don't know which one it is for you, but because we're not dealing with it, we're not getting over it. And because we're dwelling on it constantly rather than overcoming it, we are never going to overcome it. As long as you continue to build on that, that broken foundation, all you're building is a broken home. Okay. We, sometimes we, we just, sometimes the best thing you can do is go rent you a bulldozer and demolish everything and start back over. All right. Maybe some of us need to take those chains off that we've been talking about and, and just get rid of stuff. Thank God for the, the scars that we got. Right. Thank God for those because they teach us, they learn us, which we'll get to in a minute a little more. But, but we just need to bulldoze the old foundation and start back up from fresh. And get this thing going the right way. But most of us, we don't make the, lo- the, the way of losses of truth. We forget to apply this. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3.13. He's writing that church and he says it's accepting one another and forgiving one another. If everybody say anyone. It's the small stuff in scripture that we miss sometimes. If anyone. So that, that's a guy you don't like. That's a girl you can't stand. Right. That's that child. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, if, if anyone has a complaint against you, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Why do we struggle so hard with forgiveness and application? We don't want to, but don't we want to be forgiven all the time? See, that's the funny thing. We want to be forgiven, but we don't want to do the forgiven. And I don't understand that. I mean, I, I'm with you. I, re- I relate the same way. I've got the same problem. But I, I still can't wrap my mind around why we are that way. Why are we so quick to ask God for forgiveness and expect it? And maybe even asking somebody else for forgiveness that we've wronged and expect it. But yet when they come to us with something and they ask for forgiveness, we throw up stipulations. Oh, I'm going to have to think about that. Oh, you're going to have to do something to earn that back, right? What? Is, there, is there like a verse I'm missing in scripture where God said, oh, in order for me to forgive you, you got to dot, 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 dot. No, I think we do the dot, 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 dots because he forgave us, right? Not, not to get the forgiveness, but because he's forgiven us, right? Guys, we have to start living out what scripture tells us to live out. Bear with one another. That, that means it's not necessarily going to be an easy thing. You know, when you, when you have to bear something, that, that means it's tough. And, and I point that out because scripture commands us to do things and we use the excuse sometimes of, oh, that's impossible. God could never command you to do something that's impossible. It would make him unjust. It would make him unfair. 
So if he commands it, that means it has to be possible. Bear with each other and forgive each other's grievances that you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Then you realize, oh, how do I do it? And how is it possible? Because God did it to me and his spirit now lives in me. And I'm supposed to be implementing his kingdom authority in my relationships in life. All over. Right? So that's number two. Number three, the I. Because David refused to dwell on past hurts, here's what he's able to do. He's able to incorporate past blessings. He incorporates these past blessings. This is really how he deals with the grief for Jonathan. Him and Jonathan were great friends. Look at verse 26 as he describes this love. And I point out, by the way, multiple verses describe each of these points. I'm pulling this one out because here's problem number two with commentaries today, okay? I grieve you, Jonathan, my brother. You were such a friend to me. Your love for me was more wonderful than the love of a woman for me. Let's be honest. What's it sound like? Because every comment, well, 60% of the commentaries went with it, which breaks my heart. Go ahead. What's it sound like? You can say it. We didn't give ins. It sounds like he's gay. Call it. Don't be ashamed to call what you're reading. Homosexual, whatever word you want to use. Okay, I'm very politically incorrect. We all know that. Right? I point that out because of this. That is not what David's got going on with Jonathan. Nowhere in his relationship with Jonathan is that there. And to prove it to you, if the man had a problem wanting men, he wouldn't have fell off his roof for Bathsheba. Do we understand? I just want to prove the point. David's not gay. He's got an attraction to God-given beauty on a woman. Okay? Not a dude. All right? He didn't jump off his roof for another man. He ran off the roof for a woman. Another thing. How many wives did he have? A lot. We got two right now at this current point. He's going to have, I don't even know how to count, to be honest with you. He's going to have more. How about that? Right? It's a bromance. Like a healthy bromance, though, guys. This word for love in the Hebrew is used multiple times. So I'm not to say it isn't used for the man and a woman kind of love. Not the erotic kind of love, but the kind of love of like friendship. The kind of love of God has for us. Used in Psalms. So that's really, really cool, right? That God's loving us the same way that, that David. I, I point this out because men sometimes have a problem with that. You know, I, I used to think it was weird sometimes when a dude would tell me who wasn't my daddy or, or one of my boys that I love you. You mean you love me? Like, I'm jumping off roofs for women, too. I ain't got nothing like that. Okay, <laughs> One woman. Jump off roof for one woman. Right. <laughs> Right. But but now I'm realizing, man, guys, we, we've messed up sometime with undercoating the value of having that kind of love relationship like that kind of friendship. And here's what David is really saying. And just to be blunt and honest, not to be crude in any which way, guys. Evidently, since David had multiple wives, one woman couldn't cut it for him. You read between the lines since we have mixed company. You know what I'm saying? OK, I'm just that, that I'm just being honest. Evidently, his connection to that one, as great as it may have been at one moment, wasn't good enough to stop him from wanting another woman. Right. So he's basically saying this in David's testimony, David's life and David's words right now. Well, another woman can replace you because you got the same stuff you got. Right. Where he's looking at Jonathan, he's saying, Jonathan, nothing can replace the relationship you and I have. You know, you think about it. And even on a spouse level, guys, we have a connection with our significant other, a physical connection. Like that, that is something really, really special. No doubt about it in, in any which way. So when you get that kind of relationship with just a friend, think about how much stronger that bond has to be. It, 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 am I getting a good picture? Everybody understand what I'm trying to say? Okay, so I, I, I point that out because 
it breaks my heart. There's so many, and believe me, many, many Bible scholars, whatever they want to call themselves, went with this as like a, a sign that he had something he didn't have with Jonathan. I want to make sure you guys don't leave here this morning with that. Okay? David, man after God's heart, not a man after men. All right. We experienced that probably wasn't murdered right either. We experienced a, we experienced a loss in our life, and in the middle of our loss, guys, we need to remember the blessings of that. That's what David's doing right here. He's looking back at the blessings of this friendship that, that he has. We do this at funerals. It's one of my personal favorite things to do at a funeral or, 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 or a service, going away service, whatever you want to call it. We have this time where we just pause and let people stand up and tell stories about the person that we're honoring. And that, that honors them. Yeah, it's a celebration of life because we say, oh, man, you remember. And we laugh because we remember what somebody did or, 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 or you know, we're amazed because maybe we hear a story from somebody else that knew them at a different time frame that, that we didn't know. And we're like, oh, I didn't know he did that or she did that. And we're like, man, I think so much more highly of, of, of this person now. And, and we do we spend, man, I wish we would just spend great amount of time in funeral services and celebration of life doing that for that reason. So we can just focus on all the positive and, and, and all the good. And, and while I'm saying that, let me say this. David does focus on all the good for Saul at this moment, because once a person's dead, there's no need to beat them down. Right. The book of first Samuel is there. So it's not like David's hiding what Saul was. All his sins are listed right there for everybody to look at forever. But at this point in time, it don't do no good to sit there. Oh, that's sorry, scandal. He was dead. It don't do no good. So he's honoring all the good and all, all the greatness that, that's coming out as part of the grieving process. So ask yourself this right here on, on whatever it is that you're thinking about this morning that you've lost. What blessings are part of, of your life because the presence of something you have? That, the presence of whatever it was, whether it's a person, a, a thing, material, whatever. What blessings were there because of it? And that's something to focus on. Now, on the flip side, at the same time as we transition right here, you've got to ask this. What blessings are part of my life because of the removal of that something? Because, see, some things being removed from your life can be a great blessing. Some things in your life need to be bulldozed over and put in the back of a dump truck and dumped way out there in the bottom of the ocean to never be found up again. Okay, and, and that's a blessing. Now, you might have didn't think it at the moment. You might have thought it was the worst thing ever. At the moment, you may have been heartstruck, whatever it was. But when you sit back and really think, you can you can honestly say, you know what? God, God knew what he was doing. God, God had exactly what he was doing with this removal of what I've lost. Okay. Now, not, not all things. Some things you got to go back to the first question. The blessings why they were part of your life, right? Leads us to number four, the E. Express my grief with others. I I almost, not to laugh at, at what went on with your, your granddad, Stacy, but I almost had to laugh when you said it happened a month ago and they don't do a good job at calling us because this is exactly what I thought about. We fail far too often to express our grief with other people. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't exactly know why all the time, but in the point out what's happening, look at verse 11. David took hold of his clothes and he tore them and all the men with him did the same. This looks like a bunch of, I mean, this is right after a battle now, guys. Think about this. So these guys are pumped up. They're, they're hyped. Adrenaline's going. And now they're all tearing their clothes and crying and weeping and fasting together. I mean, you think if, if you were another Amalekite walking up and you saw this, what in the world? What have I walked up? I mean, a bunch of dudes sitting around tearing clothes and just crying. Right. You would know there'd be great loss, though. You would know that something significant m must have happened. David not only lets everybody know his grief, he publicly does it. 
He publicly does it to a point where he invites others to join him in on doing it. And then in 17 and 18, look, it goes even further. David orders, he orders that the morning of this event be taught for future generations to know about. Look at it. He says, I want this written down in the book, Joshua, or you can, you can add the book of the upright. Now, don't go looking through your scripture. You're not missing a, a book that's in there, okay? It's not necessarily an ordained, inspired word of God, but it would have been something that was written about, maybe maybe we allege at least, something like what we're talking about right here, where, where it just it just talked about people who did awesome stuff that needed to be remembered, okay? So so not to say good reading, bad reading, that's not the question. I just don't want you guys digging through your Bible thinking like you, you missed a book that, that you're hearing about right here, right? So, so he does this, and he expresses so One of the biggest mistakes we make is we try to withdraw and handle grief on our own. It's one of the biggest mistakes we make, and it is very unhealthy. Studies show it's one of the number one causes of, of depression. Now, I don't know about you, but everything I've read in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation talks about community. It describes family. It describes support. It describes helpmates. It describes kingdom citizens. And we need to realize that, that, that looking for help uh, amongst fellow believers is not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of strength. Because it's saying, you know what? I believe what God's word says, but I need you guys. So I'm going to rely on you guys. I am faithful and I am obedient in what God's word tells me to do. So I'm going to rely on you guys to get something done that, that I'm having trouble with on the inside. OK, so, so quit with that sign of, of it being weakness or, or whatever. I think the community of believers is what we need for the encouragement and support to get over things. And scripture paints that, right? People are reluctant to share. And here's why I think why. And, and, and think about what Stacy said. I, I hate when I hear about something somebody was going through weeks or months later. And I'm like, well, how do you not tell me you were going through that, man? Like, I, I consider myself a prayer warrior. Like, I would have I would have had some serious prayer going on. I would have got some other people I know that are prayer warriors, and we'd have had some serious prayer for you. Oh, well, yeah, I, you know, they don't even have a reason why they why they don't share it. And here's what I think it is. Now, this is just my thought, right? I think it's some sort of pride. It's pride because we're worried about a reputation. We're afraid to admit that we suffer and, we, and we've lost. We're afraid to admit that we're hurting. We're afraid of what somebody else is going to think of us, that they might look at us as weak and vulnerable. And, and pride, back on us men, seems to be the biggest hindrance for us as men to seek out help from other people. Okay? It is. And we need to just swallow that pill and say, you know what? I, I do have some problems sometimes that I need help overcome that I can't do alone. And if nothing else, I need somebody who, who's going to pray for me and help me get over this. Think of all the one over, uh, oh, one over. Don't get over on anybody. All the one another verses in the New Testament. I mean, just, just look at some of them. We're called to love one another. We're called to serve one another. We're called to bear with one another. We're called to be kind and compassionate to one another. We're called to forgive one another. We're called to encourage one another, to build each other up, to spur one another along to love and good deeds. I mean, scripture is full of one another verses. So why do we try to handle it on our own? I wonder sometimes if we're handling it on our own and we're not able to seek out the help from other people, if that means we're also not seeking out the help of God. Because if we're not doing it his way, what's to say we're not going to call on him at all to get through things, correct? His way clearly tells us to rely on people, and that's okay. Right people, by the way. Don't go tweeting your problems out there for the wrong people to see. All right? Right people. Keep in mind this. We can only reap the benefits of that kind of encouragement and help if we choose to do it God's way. And that's what David does. David expresses this thing with others in the group. And he shares this thing, and he does something a little bit more that I want to get to at the end. But here's number five, the V. The V in grief. 
Visualize how God is working through my loss. You've got to visualize how God is working through my loss. Now, two of the songs we sing today, I don't think it was by chance, by the way. And, and I point this out to you. It is all, you should be amazed that your whole service is inspired by God. Me and anybody, we don't sit down and have a powwow over, hey, this song says this and that. I, I don't think I have to command what songs need to be sung to make it fit my agenda. I think we'll let God's Holy Spirit lead everybody's heart and he'll make it fit his agenda. Okay, and I think that's very important for you guys to to acknowledge and realize that God is leading every area. And when these songs line up perfectly with what God's trying to say, it ought, you ought to get a little smile on your face. You know, say, y'all, man, look at what God's doing. Is God's sovereignty not absolutely amazing? Right. I mean, it would be amazing if I just sat down, you know, Sunday evening or Monday morning with, with Stacy and Carla and anybody else on stage and said, hey, guys, here's what we're going to do, because it fits my agenda for my sermon points. Now, there's churches that do that. Don't get me wrong. Right. And they sound really flowy and they're all nice, but they're a giant show. OK. It, right. You see the difference when it's inspired by God, it just happens. Right. You don't have to make it happen. It happens. Right. Then that goes for every year of our life. So, so David doesn't view the death of Saul and Jonathan at the end. He's visualizing how God is working through loss. So the, those two songs and, and really a couple other ones had the, the idea in it as well. But two of us typically talk about, man, God, I'm so thankful for the scars. Now, you can look at that as, as yet everything about the, the scars in Christ's hand. We need those. But don't you think we're thankful for the scars? I'm thankful for the scars in my life. You know what I'm saying? Thankfully, I didn't have too many uh, messed up things in relationships before I found my wife. But I learned some lessons through them. Right. So that I don't mess them up again. At least not the same way. I mess them up other ways. Right. <laughs> same thing with friendships. Right. It, same thing with a sermon. Same thing with studying Bible. I learned the wrong way to do it. So therefore, I know now the right way to do it. Right. There, you can learn all this stuff. Through past experiences. David didn't view these, these deaths at the end. He viewed it as part of the process. Now, we need to start looking at loss as part of the process. And if we look at loss as part of the process, our eyes are then open to what God's really doing. So rather than David's eyes being focused on, on, on Saul and his, his problems and his hate for Saul, he's now able to open his eyes on what's God doing through Saul. And I really think he's able to do this. And what enabled David to look at it this way and visualize God working through his life is because he was able to forgive Saul without Saul ever even asking. Because if he wasn't, how different would this process have been right now? You know, how different would it have had to have been? David chose to focus on God's sovereignty and grace through the whole thing. Here's what he recognized. He recognized that the death of these was part of God's working in my life to get me onto the later chapters. And we'll actually talk about that in later chapters, uh, you know, of the book. And here's why everybody please tune me in for just this. Even if you fell asleep for a moment, jump back in for this, because here's the problem. So many times when we have a loss, when we suffer a loss, whatever kind of loss, again, person, possession, whatever. The first question we ask is what? Why, God? Why? Why did I lose? And I'm not saying it's always a problem to ask God. I think we need to tell God the openness and honesty of our heart. Don't try to hide it. OK, but but here's the thing. Why did I lose my job? Why, why did that person cheat me out of the money? Why did that person leave me? Why did I get cancer? Whatever it is, I'm convinced from opening God's word and studying is the question is not why, but rather what and how. What now? Now, here, here, here's the question you and write it down so that you can ask yourself later. Right. What do you want to do in my life as a result of this loss? God. Think about how different that whole approach is. Rather than God, why dot dot dot. God, what do you want to do in my life as a result of the loss I'm suffering from? It changes your whole viewpoint, man. It's now not about you being broken. It's about what's God doing. What's he doing? 
Because what he's doing is more important than what I'm doing. It's more important than what you're doing or the how. How do you want to work in my life through this loss, God? How are you going to do something for me through through this? Sometimes, you know, loss that comes just to draw you back closer to God. Sometimes loss has to come to elevate you to your next position. Now, now understand this. Jonathan was great. You hadn't heard me say a bad thing about Jonathan the, the whole time. He was a warrior. He, he reminds me of David. Remember when he went out and fought the uh, the enemy, you know, when he was undermatched and undermined on his own? I mean, he was a mighty, mighty man. So when he had to die this way and we have to look at it this way, I, 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 I didn't like it. I don't have to like it, though. OK, but here's the thing. Jonathan had to go so that David could be elevated to his next position. And I believe as, as a warrior, as weird as this may sound, and you women may think us men are crazy. I think as a warrior complex, Jonathan was happy the way he went, honestly. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think it was. I don't think, you know, if he was to have a conversation, you know, with, with Abba after his death and be like, hey, Abba, why you had to kill me in the middle of a battle? Like, what was the point of that? Why the archer had to catch me in my heart when he could have caught so-and-so in his heart? I think he was smiling. I went out fighting the enemy. Like, I, I wish more people would want to go out fighting the enemy. I'd rather go out fighting the enemy than falling to the enemy. Right? And willingly falling to the enemy is what I mean. Right? I, I think that was Jonathan. So I don't think it was a bad way for Jonathan as much as we look at it. Jonathan, good guy, and, and still had to get shortened into the stick because of his daddy. But when we look at it and we visualize how God is working through my loss, Jonathan had to go so that David could get to where God had to get him. All right? So sometimes things in your life had to go, not because they were necessarily bad or evil for you. We notice how good of a relationship they had, but they had to go so that you can get to where God wants to get you. And we need to be okay with that. We need to understand God is in charge and I'm not. And if some things have to go, some things have to go, right? James 1. Any of you study the book of James, perfect book of application for believers, right? James commands this in the beginning in chapter 1. He commands us to respond to the trials in our lives with joy. That just sounds weird. Hold on now. You want me to be joyous about what? I don't know if you understand uh, exactly what, what, what I'm going through. But, but here's what he says. And I, and I point out verse 5 because it's the one we always take the context. All right? And I can't stand people to use God's word the wrong way. Verse 5 says this right here. Here's the key to being able to do what the beginning of James says. If any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. You ever heard anybody use that verse the wrong way? You ever use that verse the wrong way? I have. They don't need to lie about it, right? We all, I, th- I think a lot of us have. You're thinking, hold on now, I don't know if I have. Well, have you ever just taken this verse out of context and use it as a general principle to, 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 to pray for, for wisdom in your life? Because that's what a lot of people do with this verse. What's the verse really saying though? And I'm, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Don't think you shouldn't pray, you know, for God's wisdom to be revealed in your life. But this specific verse, and here's what we need to remember, is it's written in the context of responding to the trials in our lives with joy. So what James is specifically writing about is that crap is coming. You need to be joyful about it. And I bet all those people there say, how do you want me to be joyful about crap coming in my life? Right? I bet you ain't never heard that in Texas, huh? (laughs) So, 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 So James writes and he says, here's how. You're lacking wisdom because your views blocked for what God's doing. So you have some prayer time and you open the word and you, you surround yourself with the believers that are going to encourage you the right way. And, and you see, God, I'm lacking wisdom. Give it to me. And God will give it to you generously so that you can then get wider range view of what's going on. Now, you might not get it right away. It might take some time and that's OK. But that's what James is really saying. 
James is saying, if you're going to be able to be joyful during your trials, you're going to have to ask God, God, please help me. Please give me the, we don't have that kind of wisdom. We let emotion get in the way too much. James is saying, you're going to have to ask God, 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 open my eyes to seeing what's really going on so that I can, I can fully understand how this is working, right? And there's where we go with the what and the how. God, what do you want to do in my life and how are you wanting to change me through this loss? Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things, uh, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Again, this is written to believers. Please don't share Romans 8, 28 with lost people. Okay, they'll think you're insane. Um, it's written to believers. I understand that, right? All right, so, so here's where we go even further now. And by the way, if on Romans 8, 28, it says all things, I think that includes losses. All things, part of, right? All right. Number six, lastly, engage in life as soon as possible. Get back to life as soon as possible. We're missing out on a lot of blessings that God has for us as believers because we, we, we've wrapped ourselves in a corner or trapped ourselves in a hole or stayed in our house or cut ourselves off from other people for far too long. Get back to living is what you could really write it as. Okay. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, he says, and he ordered that his own tribe, that's his own tribe. Now don't forget that. Okay, important that the song of the bow, the way of the bow is, the, is there another way of writing it is written in this book. And, and then it lists this this song. He, here's what happens when it says the way of the bow, the song. Of, he, he's teaching people how to use a bow now. Now, this is awesome. I'm going to go back to it in just a minute to kind of wrap some things and, and tie some things together here. He's teaching and he's training people now R- right after a grieving thing. So he, he's getting back to life. He's engaging in life as soon as possible. Not that it's, it's not appropriate to take a time out to grieve or anything like that, right? But there's a tendency we have to withdraw and grieve for far too long. Go back to the book of Joshua. I know it's been a long time since we were in that series, but Joshua chapter 1, 1 and 2. L- look at the, the fancy way of, of saying this. If, if scripture don't make you laugh sometime, this is probably one that'll make you laugh. After the death of Moses, Yahweh's servant, Yahweh spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun who served Moses. Moses? I mean, yeah, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, you and all the people prepare to cross the Jordan, the land I'm giving you. Now, the first I remember the first time I read it. This is where I tell you, it's kind of funny when you look at it. I pictured Joshua like, I mean, him and Moses were like, they, they, they were a Jonathan and, and David kind of relationship, okay? I mean, they were close. They got in battles where, where he had to hold his hands up to make sure the winning was still happening. I mean, they relied on each other. He was training him to take over. I mean, just close, close guys. And I just picture him sitting there in this morning period. Not, we don't know how long. And, and Yahweh coming up and saying, hey, Moses is dead. Yeah, I got that. That's why I'm crying. Well, good. You're supposed to be the leader. Get up and go. You know what I'm saying? Like that. Like, hold on, God. Maybe you should come in a different way. <laughs> you know, we, no. No, because after the period of grief, however long that period is, again, I'm not giving you a chart on how long your period of grief should be. But however long it is, you got to get back to it. You've got things to do. Really, that's what God was telling him right there. He goes, look, man, he's gone. i got a thing for you to do. And I don't know what you've lost in your life or who you've lost in your life, but the reality is this. If you're still here, God's got a thing for you to do. Okay? And you need to get to your thing. If that's going on, on mission trips to Puerto Rico, if that's going on mission trips to Africa, if that's going to the restaurant outside to witness to the way, I don't know. No, we don't have a restaurant outside, so please don't look that way, right? But we need to get back to it. And the sooner we get back to going, to getting up out of our pit, the better and the quicker recovery can take place. 
Now, not to jump into to chapter two, but but look at Second Samuel chapter two, the very first verse. Just this first couple words. In the course of time, David. Dot dot dot. Right. Sometime later is how it's written up there. Sometime later, David inquired of Yahweh. Now, if you want to get back to doing, you better make sure you inquire of the Lord on what you're supposed to be doing, too. Now, I wish we gonna get on that more next week. Should I go? Da, 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 and you see how and Yahweh answers him. Go. Then David. Where should I go? Notice David is so he's getting so bad. I don't want to get off on the chapter two yet, but he's getting so much back on track with the Lord. Right. Not only should I go, but where do you want me to go? You know, it's one thing to pray. God, should I go on a mission trip? Because God's going to tell you, yes, everybody got a mission somewhere. Right. But you better follow through with the second question. Hold on. Where? <laughs> right. Because because you might go to the wrong place if you just prayed the first part and didn't pray the second part. All right. So, so David does that again. That's you getting into next week. So I don't want to do that. But I just want to point out this. We don't know how much sometime later is. I'm not going to give you a chart on on being able to get over over grief. I can tell you this. Grieving the loss of a spouse takes longer than grieving the loss of some money. Right. That makes sense. So so the level of, of the magnitude of the loss determines the time of grief. All right. But I do know there better be a time period wherever it is where you get over it. And there has to be a point where that part begins to end and you get on with life after the loss. It has to, guys. Not to say you forget that person, not to say you forget. You got scars for a reason. They're good. They remind you of stuff, right? And be good, good memory sometime. And, and I'm just convinced that sometimes, and maybe us here today, we never really resume normal life after we lost something. And because we haven't resumed normal life after whatever we lost, we're missing out on so many blessings that God's got for us. We haven't, we haven't really begun to live the fullest life that, that, that we could get into. Go, go back to what Joshua verse two is saying. This is, this is something for every believer right here. Some of us, we, we skip this when we get into traditional church. Verse two is commanding this, that we're not only saved from something, we're saved to something. Right? Look, look at verse two and what he's telling Joshua and the people. You're saved from sin. That makes you safe. But you're saved to holiness. That's what makes you happy. You see that? I think too many of us in traditional churches, we're happy to be saved from sin and we're happy to be safe. And that's it. I got my get out of hell card and, and, and I'm good to go. If you look at the gospel and the good news as just that, you've missed that many pages of scripture. Right? I mean, you've really missed out on a lot. And, and when you get to heaven, you're going to sit down with Abba, not like Jonathan was asking about why I died. You're going to be asking God, where was all the blessings that scripture talked about? God's going to tell you, well, you never began to live a life of holiness. So you missed out on all that part. Right. Understand it, guys. We are saved to something. We're saved to the kingdom of God so that we can start getting people ready for the kingdom of God. And there's where the blessings begin to come in. We need to realize our completeness in Christ and quit wandering around in fear. And I don't know what our fear is. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown. Maybe it's the fear of not knowing what to expect. But too many of us have stopped engaging in life because of fear after we've lost something. I, I, I was reading a testimony the other day on a church in, in, in Texas. <laughs> and and why they, they had talked about how much money they had invested in this corporation. It was supposed to be ran by, by biblical men and, and everything was looking great. And it ended up being a scandal. And they lost everything, guys. 
everything. And the main guy who was talking at the time, he, he was just a youth pastor. And he said, I was grateful that I was still young and could recover. But so many of the older folks in that church, they'd given everything and they couldn't recover. And they didn't know what to do any longer from this. And, 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 and I don't know what it is that we've lost in our life sometime, but we need to open our eyes and realize we got to get back to it. And, and just like this young guy, if he if he had just been done with investing money at that young age, he would have never had anything. He wouldn't have had a testimony to share that I would have been reading about, about him overcoming that and now living prosperly. Right. If he had just said, I'm never investing again. No, he had to get over. It. Now, I can't imagine how scared he was to invest the first dollar again. I mean, you think about it, I don't know what you guys have for retirement. I hope you have some sort of retirement plan, to, at least for how to maintain when you're old and can't work on your own. Right. But 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 I can't imagine how scared he was that very first time that, that he had to do something with his money that would hopefully better his future. I mean, that would have been a scary, scary moment, but he had to get on and he had to do it when we grieve. Right. And here's what I want us to, to encourage us to think about what, what step have we not taken? What letter have we not taken today in, in this process? Because when we get when we grieve right, we can grow from the things that tried to stop us short. We, we can grow rather than stay short. Now, now, now here, here, here's a little bit more in, in this lesson. We need to recognize the lessons of our losses, too. What I mean by that is this. What, what was the big disaster that, that started, that, that happened at 31 in, in chapter 1 of, of these two books? Israel got defeated. The king and his sons are, are dead. How did they die? How did they get defeated? Read it. How did they do it? It says, archers. Archers took them out. Don't don't miss that. This all ties together now, right? The Philistines were great at using the bow. Now you can look at this now a couple ways. Saul's army was weaker because they didn't have anything to shoot at a distance. So you could say, man, if they had been able to shoot at a distance and level the playing field before the hand-to-hand combat got going, how different could the turnout have been, right? But they didn't have that. So the Philistines began to eliminate them one by one. And then when they got to the close hand to hand, it was easier because then they outnumbered them. Right. But if they had known the use of the bow. How different could it have been? How different could it have been? Right. I imagine there's been a lot of failures in our life that, that, and sometimes losses. And we wonder what, what, what shall what shall I do? Shall, shall I sit here and, and, and just agonize and give up in despair? No. No. The, the men of Judah, they learned the use of the bow. Through this, if they got beaten by the bow, they gathered wisdom that that which has beaten me, I can beat somebody else with later. And they do end up using bows later, right? Maybe you've been defeated by something by your adversary. I hope you learned where your weakness was from that. I hope you open your eyes and determine to know the cause of that defeat. Scripture tells us, seek and see what made you stumble and fall. What was it? Pride? What was it? Was it? Was it? That I let down my guard? Was it I wasn't watching out? Was it a weakness in prayer? Was it a neglect of the word of God? Was it indifference to the house of God and the community of God? What, was it, what caused the coldness of my heart? And if you've been defeated, there was a cause for it. And there was a reason for it. And you need to not be content until you figure out what it was. So that maybe the next time you're able to flip the script on it, right? Search and see what it was. What's what's the secret sin that we've been hiding that we need to to acknowledge so that we don't have a secret sin problem going on? David judged that if they were defeated by the bow next time, maybe they could use the bow. Right. Plus, it's right to learn from your adversaries. Was Peter not stronger after his fall in the New Testament? Think about what Peter did when he came back from his fall, guys. Think about when, when Christ said his name for the first time. 
Can you imagine that? I mean, you were the guy that denied him. You were the guy that, 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 that said there was no way. And then, and then, boom, it happened the exact way Christ said it would. And then he said your name for coming on back to the meeting. And, and look at Peter's Peter saying, when I say Peter was stronger, Peter set his whole life out strengthening other brethren from his time on left. He said, look, this is where I stumbled, guys. This is where you don't have to. What, what Do we do that? Do we learn from our defeats this way? Now, yeah, what can be what, what's already done can't be undone, but we can learn from it. We can be ready for it the next time. And in doing so, we, we set up a memorial for those that we loved by imitating their qualities. I don't know if you guys caught this. If you remember all the way back to about middle of, of Samuel, Jonathan and David were going to have this meeting. And they were going to have this meeting and how they set the meeting up. You remember? He said, I'm going to go hide behind that giant boulder. I want you to go out there and act like you're shooting your bow. Jonathan was skilled in archery. He was, he had to be. Right? He goes out there and he, and he learns how to shoot. He talks about the number of arrows and, and where he was to shoot. I mean, I'm not hiding that close to the boulder if the guy shooting the arrow isn't that good at shooting it. You know what I'm saying? So he had to be pretty darn good at shooting. Okay? So we got this guy who's good at archery, yet his dad never implemented into the army, and they died this way. So don't you think by David now training the men up in the way of the bow, don't you think now every time they strung, a string on a bow, they would think of Jonathan. Don't you think every time they would put an arrow in that bow, they would think of Jonathan? Don't you think every time they were getting ready to march off to the battlefield, that the people and the citizens of that kingdom would look and they would see them toting their bows and their, 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 their quiver full of arrows and they would think, you remember when Jonathan had the arrows and took care of business, right? We talk about all the time, guys, when we lose somebody, we want to honor them. David said, look, we don't need to build no statue of Jonathan. What we need to do is, is use the qualities he had that was great and implement them into our life. You want to honor your mom or your dad or another loved one that's passed on? Live out their qualities. If, if your mom had great qualities of compassion, then you need to be living out compassion. If your dad had a great quality of servanthood and, and he died, you need to be a servant. And tell people, man, I learned how to do this from my mom or from my dad. If your spouse had a quality and you lost them, live it out. Live out the qualities of those people that we've lost, guys, those things that we lost. And when we do think about the honor that we bring to those people, that's where David was right here with Jonathan. He was making sure to teach the people this is how we can honor those that we've lost. I want to emulate Christ. That's what Paul said. Paul said, you guys can follow me, but you can. I love that second part. See, we always leave out the second part. You can eat Paul. Don't forget. Paul said you can follow me. He said you can only follow me because I'm following Christ. Meaning this, that if you're following Joe Blow, don't tell nobody to follow you. Or if you do, at least give him a warning. If you follow me, we're following Joe Blow. Right. I don't know who Joe Blow is, but we're not going to follow him. OK, be, be like Paul. Tell him flat out. Look, man, you can follow me, but you can follow me because I'm, I think imitation is the highest compliment we can give an individual. Think about it. Have you ever watched a little children implement or, or, or imitate you? Think about it now. Now, that works both ways. Some of y'all got a good smile on your face. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. I remember when they did it. And some of y'all, some of y'all saw y'all's kids doing something. And y'all was wondering, where in the world did you learn that? And they said with a smile, I was watching you, Dad. And you said, oh, crap. Right? So, so you can say imitation is not only the highest comment, it's the greatest lesson teacher, too. What are your kids implementing? What are you kids implementing? How are they watching it? 
I got to watch myself sometimes with sports. I I get a little just a little bit, but a little bit wound up in sports. And and, and I think my little bit of winding up in sports has has, uh, uh, taught my oldest son how to get a a little bit more wound up in sports. So we got to We got to contain all that. We got to check and balance each other so so we can do things the right way. Right. But that's where this thing's at. All these archers and public mind of remembering Jonathan. But I'm still blown away the whole time. And maybe you guys are, too, that this chapter is also about David mourning Saul. And and I wrote down my my very first day of reading the the chapter, at least for this time around. And I wrote down, how does David do it? How does he do it? How does David manage to speak so well of Saul after all the hell that Saul had caused him? And we talk about personal application. There's where some of us might need to be. Maybe some people have caused us a lot of pain, a lot of grief. And we're wondering, how was how David able to do it? He, he, just these aren't these aren't points or anything like this, but if you want to write down, these apply. David knows that God is mighty. He knows that God's in control. He knows that despite all the stuff that Saul was doing, God was using it to better him. He trusts in the sovereignty of God. That is the number one way that he was able to. No different than Joseph with his brothers in Genesis chapter 50. You remember that line? Everybody should know this line. He looks at his brothers after all those years of, of, of being slave, beat up, you know, abused, whatever, all the stuff that comes in with that. And he looked at him and he said, well, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring me about my present result, the survival of many people. Wow. Wow. Could you look your enemy in the eye and say, man, what you planned for evil against me, God used it for good. To not only better me, but to save all the people that I'm helping save. Right? That man, that, that Jonathan had it going on. Second way, so not only looking and trusting God more than trusting relationships on earth. Second, he seems to have already dealt with Saul's sins. I, I really believe that. We don't get a, a whole line on that. We, we get evidence that he wasn't holding any grudges against Saul. But by the way, he handles a lot of things, right? But I, And I fully believe, again, with Joseph. I think Joseph is able to deal kindly with his brothers in spite of their wicked actions because he'd already forgiven them. I think he came to terms with not holding a grudge for it. Maybe you could say it this way. David and Jonathan both chose to keep short accounts rather than harboring bitterness. You're not going to get over something if you just harbor bitterness. You keep a short account, you can get over it. And God forbid you harbor bitterness and somebody died. You didn't have time to get over it. Because then you got a whole world of trouble on how to deal with it. Right. All right. Number three. And I'm just being honest. You know, these are my notes. These this one might not apply to you guys. From what I'm able to conclude personally, David thinks a whole lot more highly of Saul than I did. I've said multiple times, and, and he understand this. So like, why are you so hating on Saul? Here's why I get so mad at Saul, guys. Because when I studied it this time, and I never studied it this way, going back to 1 Samuel. When I studied this way, I saw how much God set Saul up for success. I mean, repeatedly set him up for success. And he repeatedly slapped God and spit God in the face. Over and over and over again, wanting to do it his way rather than God's way. So when I tell you I got a problem with Saul, that's what I had a problem with Saul's actions. And I got a problem with myself sometimes when God sets me up for success and I make mistakes that stop that success. And I hope you guys look in the mirror and you say, you know what? God has set me up every day for success. And what am I doing to screw it up? God has set me up to be the greatest dad, the greatest mom, the greatest husband, the greatest wife, the greatest uh, example setter, the greatest teacher, the greatest prayer, whatever it is, the greatest worker, whatever. And what are we doing to mess it up? God's got plans for his people to succeed greatly, 
greatly. You are heirs of the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? Like heirs of the kingdom, man. God's put a stamp of approval on you. He doesn't do that to just anything and everything. Right? So therefore, we should look at it and say, well, man, what am I missing? And, and there's, there's where I'm just being honest with you. I had a problem and thought lowly of Saul. But I'm so grateful that David didn't let the opinion of others, because you know others had bad opinion of him. He didn't let the opinion of others determine his outlook on somebody. Don't you dare late let rumors, trash talking, gossip, or anything else lower your opinion of somebody that God told you how to think of. See, that's what David did. David kept a view of how God told him to view Saul. He's God's anointed one. You hear it over and over through the whole book. You even, you even see, you hear it in this chapter here. God's anointed one. It wasn't necessarily Saul. It was a position that God had made. And there's where he was. And the fourth, and I think this is equally important. David illustrates obedience to scripture, even though he didn't even know this one was coming. Philippians chapter four, verse eight, a command we get. Finally, brethren, notice now this is written to the church. That's why it says brethren, brothers, believers. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. How do I know he was he was implementing that verse? Because he wasn't dwelling on Saul's sins. Now, we've got a whole book recorded, so he didn't hide them either. OK, so, so they're there. But I think sometimes we put too much emphasis on the wrongs others commit against us. And I'm going to tell you, all that does is hold you back. All that does is hold you back. It ain't holding nobody else back but you. So get over it. Don't don't let that person have that much control and that much weight. That event, that, that whatever trap Satan had that day. Don't, don't, mm-mm, mm-mm. God's got too many great things for your tomorrow. Or whatever your tomorrow is. Maybe after a time period. We'll go back to scripture, right? After a time period, God's got great things for you. He does. Ask yourself where you're at in this process of grief today. Ask yourself, what are we teaching? What, what are we learning? Better yet, better yet go, go back to this last verse. I promise this really is the last verse. I know I've said last verse a couple times. This one's good, man. I could have did the whole sermon on this verse, but God wouldn't let me leave grief. Oh, maybe we don't have that one up there. Second Samuel chapter two, verse no, chapter one, verse 21. I didn't get that one to crystal to the end, so I apologize. Mountains of Gilboa. This is part of the song. Let no dew or rain be on you. The fields of offering fields of first fruit is what it should say. And here, here it is. For there, the shield of the mighty, still calling Saul mighty. So you see the real, the real, the real genuine shield. The shield of the mighty was defiled. And here it is. Here it is for us. The shield of Saul, no longer anointed with oil. Now, now here's what you got. You got a lot of things going on. He's no longer anointed by God. We know that because the anointing of God is on David now. But, but you need to go a little deeper in understanding this, especially for us today. The shields back then, they weren't the, I don't know where we got the idea of metal shields, okay? They didn't have that. We should know they didn't have that, but movies make it that way, so we go that way in our minds, right? I do the same thing. The shields back then were leather. Just bunches of leather, strapped and wrapped all kind of different ways. Anybody ever had something leather that they didn't take good care of? Y'all know y'all bought them fancy cars and had them leather seats and you never put any application on them? And you lived in South Carolina where the heat was great? What happened in them leather seats? They crack and they tear up, right? Because if you don't take care of something and anoint it with oil, it deteriorates. All right, let's apply that to the shield. If Saul was out there and he had his shield, I don't even know if he had his shield, but if he had it and he hadn't taken good care of it, he hadn't been anointing it with oil and, and um, um, uh, uh, keeping it fresh and keeping it you know, soft and the leather the way it's supposed to be, 
What do you think happened to his shield? It deteriorated and it cracked. Well, that ain't going to be no good if an if, if arrow's flying at you, right? What you going to hold it up and what's it going to do then? Shatter or right through it. He was a warrior. I think he had forgot his warrior caller. We know that from a lot of the end of his life, right? Maybe he hadn't even used his shield in a long time. Maybe he'd just been sending too many others out to do the job he was supposed to be doing, right? And because he neglected that, and because he neglected his position, and because he neglected his shield, no warrior neglects your shield. That's your battle armor. Now, apply it spiritually, guys. You got battle armor, right? Ephesians gives you a good list of battle armor. Are you applying the oil to the battle armor that you got? Because if you're not, you're going to get in a battle and your shield is going to crumble and be defiled and not worth anything in the fight. And possibly the arrow of destruction will hit you through the shield. Be great warriors. Let's anoint our shield with oil. Let's anoint our body with oil. Let's anoint the calling that God has on us. We no longer have to tear garments in mourning. We have one who is inside of us that gives us the ability to handle all this stuff, right? And that's where we're at. And that's where we need to be. We're a royal priesthood called to set examples for this world to follow. David is setting a great example on how to grieve with a friend and even with an enemy. And you and I need to do the same thing, right? Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. God, I know I'm super glad for this lesson. Much as I didn't know where to go in the beginning, Lord God, as far as the sermon. (laughs) Your arrow, Lord God, penetrated me. And God, that's more valuable than anything, Lord. God, I pray right now, Lord God, that if one of us is struggling with with one of these letters and grieve, Lord God, bring it forth today, God. God, don't let us leave here today without addressing it. Lord God, if we've been called to teach and train and we're not doing it, God, God, bring it forth today. God, if if we've been called and we've, we've neglected our shield, we neglected the teaching, Lord God, of the next generation, we've neglected, Lord God, preparing ourselves for the enemy's arrows outside, Lord, open our eyes to see what needs to be anointed with oil by you, Lord God. God, use us to start a wildfire, Lord God. God, Samuel, the second part of this book is just so empowering. God, don't let us miss it with the beginning of a great start so that we can end well, Lord God. In your name we pray. Amen.